So we start a brand new series today, and my name is Scott Bledsoe. I haven't been here in a while, but some of you may need me to introduce myself. I actually, I actually the lead pastor here, but I've been preaching out for the last three weeks in other places, and then one weekend um, we had a new grandchild, and, and, uh, but I'm glad to be back in the house, because uh, we're entering a new season in church life, and I want to just strategically tell you where we are so you can be a part of it. Um, a lot of times this time of the year when school takes back in, what happens in the culture in people's minds is they're like, okay, we got to get our life together. You know, it's been summertime, we've been able to stay up late, and there's been no homework, and we've been maybe going on vacation, go to the beach, go out to the lake. But school kind of brings a lot of that um, to a halt, and it's time for structure. And one of the things I believe that happens in people's lives is they begin to want to get their spiritual house in order as well. I, I, I believe God works that way. And so we want to take advantage of it. So we're going to spend the next at least three weeks talking about prayer. Um, and, and I'm starting it today. And then there'll be Labor Day. And then the Sunday after Labor Day, we're going to start our most evangelistic series that we do. And it's going to be an opportunity for you to invite the people in your life that you care about that may be far from God, that the, the Holy Spirit lays on your heart. And we're going to believe that God's going to touch some of them. At the movies is when we, uh, is when we take um, a movie and we teach a biblical theme through the scenes of a movie. And so it's, it's, it's one of the funnest things we do. We have popcorn, Coke. It's just, it's so much fun. And, uh, and, and God uses it in a, in a powerful way. And if you've ever, um, I don't know if you've ever tried to invite someone to church before or tried to talk to someone about Christ. I'm here to tell you that the church has got an image problem. Christianity has got an image problem. In fact, I was at a, a place this week, and uh, there's, a, there's a lady that I've known uh, a long time. In fact, she has been in church in, in the past, and she's not in church now, and I've already invited her to, at the movies, and, but I've invited her like the last three years, and she hasn't come yet. So what do you do, Scott? Well, I'm not going to quit inviting her. You know, you ever had a bad meal at a restaurant? Sure you did. Did you quit eating out? No. You found a new restaurant. So, you know, I'm just going to stick with it. But uh, in Christianity has this image problem, especially today in the culture. Um, now, the church has done some beautiful things. It really has. I don't know if you know this or not, but the church is the ideal. It's a beautiful idea. It's a, it's a group of people. In fact, th this will be revelational for some of you. The church is not a building. You did not come to church you are the church. All right? You, you, you got to remember that. The Bible said, Jesus came, I have come to build my church. He was not talking about a building. Okay? He was talking about a group of people. The word in the Greek used is, it's a group of people called out from the world. And we're supposed to love God. And get this. Everybody like, yeah, we're, we love God. And we're supposed to love each other. Oh. That's where the problems come in. Not only that, love God, love each other, and we're supposed to love the world around us and serve them so that we might win them to Christ. Like, Christianity is just, it's, it's not for you. It's for you 
so that you can be a part of helping um, the plan of God come to pass to reach more people. That's really what the church is. And so, yet when you bring up church or Christianity, um, it's possible to get a lot of pushback. Um, and I'm sure some of you have seen that. Um, there are several reasons. One, people, they've surveyed people why they don't believe in God or don't believe in going to church. And one reason they give, if it, it, they've turned it evidential reasons. In other words, there's no evidence. How can I believe in a God I can't see? You know? How can I believe in a God I can't see? And just evidentially, and they, you say, well, the Bible says, they say, well, what the, how's the Bible different from the Book of Mormons, or how is it different from uh, the Koran, or any of these other writings that people use to describe how to have a great life? And so they're like, I don't believe one's better than the other. And so you say, I'm not really talking about that today, um, but there are people like that out there. You probably will run across some in your life. You say, what's the answer? Well, you pray for them. You just keep loving them. One day, I believe, typically what happens is one day life turns their, turns their world upside down, and all of a sudden they're ready to hear because they need some help. Okay? And so we just we want to be there when that happens. This, really what I want to talk about is the other reason people say they don't believe in church is because of um, ethical reasons or moral reasons. They might just say, you know what? I just don't like the church's view or what the Bible says or the, what, what, if you believe the Bible is God's word, what God says about maybe sexuality. Or I don't believe what the Bible says about Money, or I don't believe what the Bible says about heaven and hell. You find a lot of people, they want to believe in heaven, but you don't find nearly as many people that want to believe there's a hell. But if you believe there's a heaven, you got to believe there's a hell, because the Bible talks about both of them. Um, or maybe they say, um, you know, I, don't, I, I just don't like what the Bible says about this or that or the other. And, and really, it's a nice way of them saying, I don't like to be told what to do. And most of us are like that. In fact, I quit a club. I was in a, I was in a, 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 a great club that's a part of the community here, do a lot of good things. And uh, the, the leadership of the club decided that to be a part of this club, you had to donate a certain amount of money to this certain cause. And I said, that's it, I'm out. Because God's not, you have to do this. You, you, you get to do this. You have a choice to make. And, and so I, I, I can relate to that. Well, there's this guy named George Barna, and he started this study group. And he's a Christian, and he started studying, uh, especially the population of the United States, trying to figure out what's going wrong. And he surveyed thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and he let them self-identify themselves as either Christian or non-Christian, Okay. And these are what, he, so he polled the, the people that identified as non-Christian. He said, why don't you want to go to church? And they gave two reasons. The first reason was this, is he said um, that the church, 85% of the people that, that are not in church today and don't buy into the gospel say that the church is hypocritical. Which means this, that they say they believe one thing, but they actually live out something different. And the second one was very much like it. 85% said they're too preachy, which means they didn't mind the preaching about Jesus. It was people that preached, this is the way it should be, and then their life just didn't line up with it. And that's why they said they didn't, uh, they didn't care for Christianity. 
And, and some of you say, well, Scott, what do we care about what non-Christians say? Well, here's why we care. That's who we're supposed to reach. That's our target market. You do realize, as a church, we're not supposed to be poaching other churches. Like, all right, now we're going to go down to the local whatever. We're going to get their members. You, that, that would be like unethical. We're supposed to be going after the lost. And by the way, I think these criticisms are valid. As a part of the church, I have been a hypocrite. (laughs) You guys looked at me like, can we say that in church? I'll tell you this, we better start saying it. In fact, I will say this, all of us have been hypocrites at times. The, the, the word hypocrite, this is what the word hypocrite in the Bible means. It means it's a, it, it, you, you, it's a play act. It's like, were you ever in a drama? I was one time when I was in elementary school, I was a shepherd in the Christmas play. I, I'm not a shepherd, but on stage that day, I played one. And that's all it means. There, there, there are times when the reality of our life doesn't match with the costume. And so what do you say, what do you say to, when people say that as a church? Do we defend ourselves? Do we get angry? I found the best thing to say is, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. You are right. And, uh, you know, when we do that, you kind of diffuse a lot of situations and you can have a civil conversation. Because the truth is that the church has done some beautiful things in the world. It, it really has. It's, it's, it, a lot of changes come through the church. Education today. You know education started in the United States of America through, through the church. It wasn't public education. Government didn't start schools. And as, as our country was founded and these little towns formed, uh, there were missionaries that went and they began to teach kids to read so they could read the Bible. Yale, Harvard, Princeton, All of those Ivy League schools were originally founded as seminaries to train preachers. You don't believe me? Check it out. Check out the history of them. And so, not only that, but hospitals. Do you know the first, I believe the first hospital in Baton Rouge was Our Lady of the Lake. It used to be up by the state capitol. And it was started, of course, by the Catholics. Look, it wasn't scientists that started hospitals. Now, they've gotten into the business of it because there's money to be made and, and because there are people that just, they, they want to do stuff like that. But civil rights, that came largely, especially through the African-American church. That's, that's where that came from. Um, it was the church that framed that, the abolishment of slavery. That didn't happen by government. That wasn't business leaders. That was a man named Wilberforce in, the, in England um, in, in the late 19th century and the church, it was a movement of the church. Now, obviously, it had to have some political things to make it legal, but it was the church. And so, much of what we see good in the world today, it was the church. So, we've done some great things. Now, and here's what Christianity did. Uh, you know, the, the, typically in the world, this is what happened the strong dominate the weak and they take advantage of them because they can. That's what happens. The rich take advantage of the poor. You know, men take advantage of women because they're physically stronger. The smarter take advantage of the, those that maybe are, are, are either less educated or are less wise. 
And then Christianity comes along and says this. It says, you know what? We're all made in the image of God. We shouldn't treat our our fellow brothers and sisters, our fellow people like that. That's what the church has done. Now, the truth is the church has done some terrible things. The Inquisition, the Crusades in the name of the church, really they were political. They weren't, they weren't, it was more of a a geopolitical thing, but it, it was accomplished through the church. And the witch trials, you know, let me just tell you this from a Christian point of view. It's never right to kill people because you don't agree with how they live. Can I, can I get an amen? amen? All right. That's, 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 anyway. So, but what happens is when Christianity becomes a religion, a system of rules, when it, when it ceases to be me and Jesus... And when it becomes a system of rules, that's when people feel superior to others. And I I remember one time, um, there was a couple that had come from a denominational background, and they came to our church, and I was having a discussion, and they were trying to figure out if they wanted to call this their home church. And they said, what kind of church is this? I, I used to get asked that a lot. Because, you know what, if you, if you define, if you say, well, we're Pentecostal, they put you in that box. Oh, okay, we got the buns, people speak in tongues, and, uh, you know, you're weird and all this. And then, and then uh, if you're Baptist, oh, you know, they, they teach a great word, they get you saved, but then, you know, they fight at the business meetings and, and you know, whatever. And I said, because at the time we used to describe ourselves as a full gospel church. And they're like... Well, where we came from, we didn't have a full gospel. And I realized how arrogant we can be. We can think we're better. Just because, you know, we're in a relationship with Jesus. And um, I'll just tell you this. It's not going to kill the church that Jesus is building for us to admit we got some flaws and faults. Jesus said, I'm building a church. You know the church is not that fragile that we can't own up to our mistakes. It's kind of like in a relationship. Vanessa and I, we've been married, and and she already knows the weaknesses I have. And so when I own them and admit to them, it doesn't make her love me less. It probably makes her love me more. Like, finally, he sees what we all see. And so, look, it's not going to ruin the church if we we just get honest and, and don't live in this bubble but we live in the real world and realize who we are. Now, I need you to understand this. When typically unchurched people talk about the church, they group all of us together. They group um, the Catholics, the Methodists, the Baptists, uh, you know, Pentecostal. They just group us all together. You say, well, how do you know that, Scott? Because um, many, many years ago, I wasn't even the pastor, but my dad told me this story. There was a a well-known ministry not far from here that made the news for not the best reasons in the world. And the Sunday after that, there were, my dad uses the number, about 150 people that left our church and never came back. And we had no association with them whatsoever. No association. They just said, all Christians are the same. And typically when we talk about the church, we're talking about the church I go to. So this guy, Barna, 
he drills down on this and he begins to survey these believers, these people that identify as believers and those that identify as non-believers in their, their practices and their lifestyle. And uh, you, you need to understand this. A lot of people draw their opinion of the church in general from the interactions they have with individuals who call themselves Christian. So like wherever you work. Now, you ever had a coworker that was a Christian and you're like, mm, really? Are you sure? Have you ever been a coworker that called yourself a Christian and your coworker is saying, are you sure? You, you, do you have a Bible? You know, you ever been in a family and like, yeah, we're Christians. And then maybe some of what happened in the family is like, Okay, let's don't tell anybody about this because that wouldn't be good. So, this guy Barna began to research Christians and non Christians alike. And this is what they found 35% of both Christians and non Christians admitted in the last 30 days that they had done one of these 10 things. I don't know, it's 10 or 11 things. They admitted, yes, in a survey, in an anonymous survey, yes. Christians and non-Christians. Now, this, these things you're going to read on the list, they range from the unwise to outright sinful. This is what they are. The first one, they admitted to gambling in the last 30 days. Or visiting a pornographic website. Or taking something that didn't belong to them. Also known as stealing. <laughs> they said mean things behind someone's back, which the Bible discusses. And the Bible talks about all these. Um, they had consulted a medium or a psychic. They had gone to witchcraft, to the, to the dark side. Luke. They'd gone to the dark side to try to figure out life. Now, remember, this is 35% of those that identified as Christian and those that identified as not Christian. Um... They, there were, they, they had admitted to physically, they had physically fought or were physically abusive to someone. That was probably a business meeting at a Baptist church. I, I should not have said that. That is a bad preacher. I've seen one of those before. They said in the last 30 days that they had um, used illegal or non-prescription drugs. Um, they had said something to someone that's not true, which we call lying. They had gotten back at someone for what they did to them. We call that taking revenge, which the Bible speaks about. And then the last one was that they had consumed enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk, which the Bible speaks about too. Now, let me tell you, not doing these does not make you a Christian. Because 65% of Christians didn't do these in the last 30 days, but also 65% of those who identify as not Christian didn't do them either. So it's, it, not doing them is not what makes you a Christian. Um, it's, it's having a faith in Christ. Oh, there was one other thing that the Christians did less of than the unchristians. And this is not a joke, it's recycling. We, Christians recycle at a clip of 68% while the 
Those that identify as unsaved, recycle at 79%. So we're not doing as well as the lost people when it comes to recycling. So, um, so Barna, Barna went on and he, he drilled down with those who call themselves believers. Now, I want to remind you, 35% of people who had self-identified, I'm a, they wear the t-shirt, they got the bumper sticker, they probably attend a church somewhere, had done all of that stuff. And, and look, I get it, we're growing. So, but they drilled down on the Christian side, all these people, these thousands of responses that said we're believers. And they said, what do you think about these things? What's acceptable? And here's, here's where it gets, here's where, you know, it, it gets alarming. Um, 59% of those who identify as Christian, 59% said it's okay for people to live together and not be married. It's okay. Um, 44% said it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. And again, again, if you read the scripture, it's pretty clear about all this stuff. 28% thought it was okay to be homosexual. Okay? And then here, again, this is not a joke. Only 7%, 7% of the, the Christians rose up. 7% said it's wrong to say the F word on TV. Now, let me paint this scenario for you. What's possible? So here you got a couple that are living together. They come home after work. It's possible they had a rough day, and so they've drank too much, and they are legally drunk. But they get outraged when the F word comes on TV and say, that's what's wrong with America. Do you see the irony in that? And, and here's, here's, why we can, here's why we can point at things like that and say, this is what's wrong with society today. Because we look outside and we judge other people and we say, that over there is what's wrong. And we miss the fundamental truth of the gospel that I'm going to share with you today about how God expects us to deal with this. You know, when the world looks at, at people who identify as Christians, and we, for all intents and purposes, our, our motivation is the same as the world. Our actions are the same as the world. We spend our money in the same places. We talk the same, we talk the same way. And, they, and if you try to tell them to Christ, they're like, why do I need Jesus? I'm just like you. I'm just like you. And here's what I'm saying. Maybe our problem is us. Maybe the problem is not MTV. Maybe the problem is not porn. Maybe the problem is not uh, that the F word is on TV. Maybe the problem could be with us. And I want to share you this most basic principle of the gospel is uh, that Jesus shared. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14, Peter is talking to these group of Christians. And in the time that he was writing, uh, they were under intense pressure. And they were not well loved. And he says this, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. 
for the glorious spirit of God rests on you. In other words, he was saying that people are going to treat you differently if they believe you're a Christian. Has anybody ever been insulted because you were a believer? If you have, he says, awesome. The Bible says, that's awesome because people see a difference. I remember one time I went to work at this place and uh, at this point in my life I was saved and, uh, uh, and I, was, I, was, I was living for God and, and uh, I was trying to uh, develop my witness at the workplace and uh, I kind of didn't know how to do it and, and I saw a PTL pin. That was, a, that was for an organization. Looking back now, that might not have been the best thing to wear. But at the time they were going big guns. And I wore the PTL pin, and I'll never forget it because my boss was about 70 years old, and he was an atheist. He was a nice person, but he was an atheist. And he saw my pin, and he went, oh, no, you're one of them Christians. That's what, that's what Peter's talking about. Did you know this, that the, the term Christian was a derogatory term that was given to the church by the world? Christians never decided to call themselves that. You'll never see anywhere. In fact, the Bible tells about the origins. I think it was in a town called Antioch. It was a place where the lost people called people Christians because they acted different. I'm I'm of the belief we need to stop self-identifying and let the people we live with and work with, let them identify us if we deserve it. He says, if you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing. So, you know, people always say, ah, I tell you, the devil's really coming against me. Well, you know what? If you lose your job because you stole something from the work site, you're not being persecuted. You're a thief. And you're getting fired not because of Christ. He says, that's what he says. He says, if, he said, if, if, you're, if you're made to suffer, it shouldn't be for murder. And then he, then he says, it shouldn't be for stealing or making trouble. If you make trouble at your job and you suffer for it, that's not the devil coming against you. You just being a troublemaker. He said, or if you're prying into other people's affairs. I love it. You know, you started murdering and everybody's like, whoo, good, because I never killed nobody. Hey, wait, sticking my nose in other people's business? Maybe I, you, I might have done that. He says, but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. It's no, it's no shame for legitimately suffering for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. It is a privilege when people call you, even if it's in a derogatory way. Oh, you're one of those Christians. He says, and then he says, this is, this is the, the thought. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. Peter says, the time has come for judgment. Now, when you hear the word judgment, people always think punishment. That's not what that word means. The word judgment does not mean punishment. It means a season of evaluation. 
So if you read it differently, for the time has come for a season of evaluation. In other words, we need to look at our life, and it must begin with God's household. This is where prayer comes in. This first week, I strongly feel like the Lord has led me to tell you, you know what, before we invite guests for at the movies, how about we get in the presence of God and say, God, how am I doing? And and begin to evaluate my life. And I love this because, you know, the Bible tells us how we do this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, this is how you do it. He says, examine yourselves. It's not my job to judge you. I don't know your heart. I don't know your life. It's not your job to judge me. It's not our job to judge each other. Paul writes, and he says, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Do you have the real deal? When's the last time you, when's the last time you examined yourself? We live in this cancel culture crazy time right now where People that don't even know others, they're judging them. And the the stupidest thing is they're judging them for what they did maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years ago. How would you like to be judged for what you did as a 15-year-old? I sure don't want to be judged for what I did as a 15-year-old. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourself. And surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. He said, if not, you failed the test of genuine faith. Said another way, it says, if, if, if you fail the test, then what you have is a counterfeit. I was in Nepal uh, several years ago doing a conference, and we went to Kathmandu in the city. There's this huge shopping district, like many big cities around the world. And I bought an expensive, well, the name was of an expensive jacket. I only paid about 40 bucks for it. I know it was a counterfeit. In fact, I would guess of all the women in here, we probably got some counterfeit Gucci up in the house today. (laughs) Because have you priced real Gucci? That's why we buy counterfeit. Um, we have friends, they can take you to New York City and you end up in a back alley in a room and you buy stuff. It looks just like the real stuff, but it ain't. And, and everything that's true has a counterfeit, right? You don't counterfeit worthless stuff. You always counterfeit good stuff. And what I realized is this, he says, surely you know that Christ is among you. The way you test yourself and, and, and a lot of people, what they do is they, they try to list their sins and stop sinning. That's the wrong way to do it. The way you test yourself is you look at Jesus. Is Christ among you? What did Jesus do? And you evaluate your life. Am I, am I doing the stuff that Jesus did? Am I obeying the Father? Am I obedient to what the Lord's speaking to me? Am I loving those that are far from Christ? Am I, do I have a servant's heart? Am I loving the church? Am I adding to the church? Am I being generous? See, those are the things you will never, you can't be more like Jesus by trying to be less like the devil. In fact, that's what so many believers, that's what they try to do. You know, you hear a message like this, and you go home and you begin to list, I got to stop lusting. 
I got to stop being selfish. If you could stop it, you would have. Stop trying to be less like the devil and instead say, Jesus, make me more like you. Jesus, I want to be more like you. I want to love like you. I would love it. I would love it if my kids would come up to me and say, Dad, can you show me how you do this? I would love it like, like you do. Can you show me how? how? How do you? Whatever it is. How do you get up every day and go to the same place and go to work? How do you do that? Tell me, how do you do that? I would love it if my kids would ask me stuff like that. I think God the Father would love it. See, our goal is not to be less like the devil. It's to be more like Christ. There was a lady who was very influential in my life. She used to preach here. And she said this. She said, a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And I'm going to tell you, I want you to have the real stuff. I want you to have the real deal. Because you know what? I needed the real deal when we went through what we went through with our daughter-in-law. She was sick and had a newborn. I needed the real deal when my grandson, my first grandson, was in the hospital for 21 days. I needed the real, I need the real deal. That day that I woke up and talked to the contractor that was building our school and said, we've made a terrible error. We have spent $700,000 more than we have told you. I needed something genuine because counterfeit don't get you through those moments. And that's why in the book of Psalms, chapter 139, at the end of the chapter, I'm going to read these verses, but this is the verse at the beginning that says, Lord, you saw me being formed in my mother's womb. You know me. He says, you see me when I rise up and when I go to sleep. You see me whether it's daylight or dark. He said, God, you know everything about me. And at the end of that verse, he prays, Lord, search me, O God. And see, we're going to gather tonight. We're going to start just tonight, this week, just doing Sunday night. And this is what we're going to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And Lord, would you point anything, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life? Again, I'll say it this way. If you knew how to fix yourself, you would have done it. And so what the devil lies to you and says, just Just try harder. Try to not, try to not lust harder. You tell me how to do that. I I don't know. That don't even make sense. You know, I talk all the time about the time I I took my son to California to a kid's camp, and God spoke to me there, and he said, uh, he said, get in shape for the second half of your life. And I've always related it how I came back and I've been working out. In fact, this week worked out four days. I've worked out four to five days every week for the last 14 years. Never suffer with motivation. But let me tell you, at the time when the Lord spoke that to me, I never would have thought that was my biggest issue. And I'm I'm here to tell you, the Lord knows everything about you. And He knows that your biggest issue may be something different than what you think it is. I never would have said to, I I mean, I, I knew I was out of shape. But I never could understand, I never would have thought, this is my most pressing issue, this extra 30 pounds? Really? 
you know, you think, well, I'm not praying enough, or, or, or I'm not giving enough, or I'm not serving enough, or I'm not reading enough, or I'm not holy enough. And the Lord said, get in shape. But here's what I've realized as I was preparing this message. As I began to get in shape, God was working in me discipline. And that discipline has not only served me physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And as I began to change and lose some weight and kind of rebuild who I am, I began to love myself. And you know what? You can't love others till you love yourself. And the, the implications have been profound. I never thought that was my number one issue. And I can guarantee you what you think your number one issue is may not be. That's why we pray, Lord, you search me. You know my heart. You test me. And you know my anxious thoughts. And then you point out anything. And I love it how, it's, how, how the scripture says it. It's offensive to you. And then you'll lead me on the path of everlasting life. That's what we're going to do tonight. 6.30. Can I have a little worship? I'm going to teach a little bit. And we're going to spend some time just examining ourselves. Let me just say, it's not my job to examine you. It ain't your job to examine me. Husbands, it's not your job to examine your wife. Wives, it's not your job to examine your husband. It's all of our, it's, it's our opportunity to examine ourselves. This is, and this is where the church, you know, if we're not careful, it's so easy to judge every other institution, every other person, and we never deal with the real issue, which is us. Judgment must begin at the house of God. I believe, you know, it's kind of like when you got guests coming over. We invited people to our house, some of the leaders from Mount Zion to our house on Friday night. I didn't tell my neighbor to clean up his yard. Hey, Boudreaux, clean up your yard. I got guests coming over. That would have been stupid, wouldn't it? And exactly that's how we, hey, we got people we want to invite to church. Hey, social media, clean your act up. It's, it's ridiculous. And you know what? What I love is that God has already predetermined how he's going to act when we do that. He loves it. Like I said, I would love it if my kids would say, hey, Dad, tell me how you do this. Show me how you do this. I would love to share any of that stuff with them. And God's already predetermined what he's going to say. And you find it in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. And it says, so let us come boldly. Come on, say boldly. You know what that means? You can walk right up to God, to the throne of our gracious God. There we will. Say will. Not might, not maybe, not if you stop dipping, not if you stop drinking, not if you stop smoking, not if you, you know, not if you get rid of whatever, them tattoos, or you get married. He says, when you come, there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace. Grace is a supernatural ability to help us when we need it the most. We find grace. That's, that's what we're going to, we're going to come boldly tonight, 6.30. Look, if you, if, look, if, like, if it's more important that you watch the closing ceremonies of the Olympics, knock yourself out. But if you got the guts, come on, let's test ourselves. 
because we got guests coming in about a month. And then I would ask you to you this way. Who are you okay that you work with going to hell? Like, yo, yeah, I'm okay with, I'm okay with all of HR going to hell. Yeah, they can all go to hell. Are you okay with HR going to hell? Are those guys in maintenance? I'm okay with all the maintenance going to hell. Or what are your family? Like, I'm okay with my wife's side. I'm okay if they all go to hell. I don't want to be in heaven with them anyway. Or my husband's side. Who are you okay going to hell? Who are you okay with? Oh, my neighbors. I that one idiot won't cut his grass. I'm okay if he goes to hell. Of course, it's a ridiculous question. And the truth is, God didn't want any of them to go. So... We're going to have the guts to examine ourselves. I want something genuine. I believe God wants something genuine for you as well. But if the Olympics is more important, I understand. I understand. You know, gold medals. By the way, those gold medals are not even made out of gold. But I want to have a faith that's really a genuine faith. So we're going to come boldly. Because I know what God's going to do. He's going to give us grace. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about the next season of church life. And uh, I believe God's going to do something incredible. Would you bow your head with me today? Before we go, before we go, I'm counting on the fact that for some of you, maybe the Holy Spirit has already begun dealing with you because He loves you. You feel it. You don't, it's, it's not, you don't experience him in your mind. You feel him in your heart. And you can feel like, this is, what, this is what you feel like. Oh, my God, he's talking to me. You know why it feels that way? Because God loves you. And, and no matter what decision you make, I want you to know, you'll never be able to, to go away from here and deny the fact that you felt the presence and the Spirit of God dealing with you. Now, it's because He loves you, wants you to be part of His family. And all that you have to do is take a step of faith. I'm not going to ask you to the front. That's not what I'm talking about. Because this is personal. But you do have to invite him into your life. And I would like to lead you in a prayer to do that. And just so I know who I'm praying for, if that's you, shoot your hand up. You can put it right back down. Nobody's looking around. Just say, Scott, include me in this prayer. Yeah, God bless you. Just include me in this prayer. You can put it right back down. Man, we ain't, we, look, this is a private moment. This is a private thing. But I'm telling you, God honors it. So I want across the room, I want all of us, we're going to pray out loud. This is for those of us that raise their hand. And, and, and the reason we all pray is because if you raise your hand, I want you to know there was a time I was, I was sitting in a church somewhere, and it was just, I was just like you. And I can identify with what you're going through. But I'm telling you, the Lord loves you. So come on, pray with me across the room, out loud, just so you can hear yourself say, Jesus, 
today. I believe you were God's answer for my sin. And on that cross, you took the penalty and you paid the price so I could be forgiven. And right now, I receive the Lord's forgiveness. And I believe that I am a part of the family of God. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great day. I love you.